0: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com.
1: Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com
2: Yeah, Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Athletic Brewing Company is reimagining beer for the modern, active adult. Their great-tasting athletic craft brews let you enjoy the refreshing taste of craft beer without the alcohol or the hangover. You can enjoy them anytime, anywhere, and still be healthy, active, and at your best. And when AB won North American Brewer of the Year at the International Beer Challenge, the judges were shocked to find out it was alcohol-free. I mean, seriously? buzz-free beer that is better than the rest and to top it all off as part of athletic brewing two for the trails program two percent of all their sales are donated to causes and organizations that support healthy outdoor active living through park and trail cleanup and maintenance whether you've decided to cut alcohol out of your life for good for a night or just one drink Athletic Brewing Company provides an option without compromises that you're guaranteed to enjoy. To try their award-winning non-alcoholic beers, go to athleticbrewing.com. Use the code PNF20. You'll save 20% off your first order. There is free shipping on orders of two six-packs or more, or you can use their store finder to find it on shelves near you. Athletic Brewing. Brew without compromise. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinnerbaits, baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out.
1: You're listening to Bass Fishing for Moves, the Paddle and fin Podcast, with your
2: hosts Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert.
3: Hey everyone, welcome back to Bass Fishing for Noobs uh, on the Paddle and Fit Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Uh, My normal co-host, Ryan, is uh, dealing with some issues at home right now, so sadly he will not be able to join us tonight, but I am graced by the presence of the Trash Panda himself. What's up? What's up, Josh? Thank you so much for hopping on and filling in for Ryan in a pinch. Um, I appreciate you doing that for me, bud.
0: Oh, no problem, man. My pleasure. I haven't been on here in a while, so... When you asked, I was like, hey, you know, I'll join. And it's even better because we're going to talk smallmouth, right?
3: Heck yeah, man. So tonight, without any further ado, we have our special guest, Mr. Travis Manson. He is host of the uh, Smallmouth Crush uh, YouTube channel. He has uh, lots of social media presence. Uh, I'll let him kind of do his own intro, but um, you can also check him out on travismanson.com, I believe. Um, but welcome to the show, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. Thank you, sir. Um, I've been a big fan of you for a long time. I happened to catch a um, uh, a talk you did at the Sportsman Show in Harrisburg, PA, one time, where you were up on the big tank, you know, you know, doing your thing. So after that, uh, that's when I first heard about you, and I've been uh, following your channel ever since. So Very cool. Yeah, so uh, for anybody who doesn't know you, why don't you uh, let them know, Um, who you are, kind of where you're from, how you got started with fishing, you know, and, you know, Hmm. all right. I'm not (laughs) going to try
4: to take up too much time, but I'll go through a quick, uh, well, it's not going to be quick, but we'll go through an introduction of, uh, (laughs) of how we got here. Um, because a lot of people may have been in the same situation and, uh, you know, maybe they can, uh, I guess (laughs) relate, uh, to the story, but, uh, you know, really I grew up fishing. I grew up in Wisconsin and, uh, as far as I can remember, my earliest memories have always been fishing, uh, not necessarily bass, although it always intrigued me. Um, I think I caught, I remember growing up as a child and catching a different species of fish was always like, that was my goals, whether it be a a channel catfish or a, a, I remember my first Northern, you know, for years, I'd never caught a Northern and all you know is you hear stories of these big Northern pike and, you know, big teeth. And you got to remember, I'm just a kid. Uh, and that was like my dream fish. And so I was down at the Creek by my parents house, casting a Mr. Twister, a white Mr. Twister, and finally got that Northern to bite. It was probably 22 inches, but it was the most amazing fish I've ever caught to, to date. Uh, and then it just went on from there. You know, uh, I keep mentioning catfish, but I mean, a channel cat was like a goal of mine forever and, and it happened. And then these, these bass, uh, and back then it was literally, uh, a sinker, a hook and a nightcrawler or a bobber and the nightcrawler. And that was it. Uh, very little lure selection. Uh, I don't remember exactly why, but or when or how, because my dad was never big into, uh, he was big into fishing, but like, like what I was doing, bobbers and, and cane poles and night crawlers. Okay. He wasn't, uh, he was not a tackle freak. He, you know, uh, I, I really don't think I grew up with a bait caster in the house. It was spinning rods and spin cast reels. Um, and so he, he never had that that urge or that passion to learn, uh, from fishing. So probably when I was too young to remember, but I remember the article because it was kind of sad. It was shocking. Uh, if you guys remember Brian Kerschel, uh, he won a Bassmaster classic and then literally died within months afterwards in the plane crash. Wow. Uh, well, that was the article I read like, Again, I don't remember why my parents. Maybe I asked them, but they they gave me a Bassmaster uh, magazine subscription, and so that was one of the first magazines shows up my door <laughs> and it's talking about some dude that just died in a plane crash, and it like, I don't know for some reason those are memories that you stick with, and so I read that and I'm like man that's crazy, but then I kept reading the magazines and stuff, and and uh, to this day it I I have to give credit to Bassmaster magazine. To planting the seed about bass fishing. Now, I still carried on. I would catch whatever bit down at the creek, but I upgraded to a canoe and then upgraded to uh, a five horse, tr- uh, you know, engine on the canoe, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, graduated going out to the lake finally from the river to the lake. And then, gosh, 13, 14, parents would drop me off at the boat ramp in the 14 foot. Deep V, and I would go to town all day long. Um, just learning as I go. Self-taught, really. Um, my first real bass I caught, learning the techniques through Bassmaster Magazine, was on a Texas-rigged uh, Berkeley 7-inch Power Worm. And then the wrap size 5, in Chartreuse was my first smallmouth I caught using that bait. And then I got the bug of uh, tournament fishing... But it wasn't bass. It was walleye. Uh, Back Mm. in Wisconsin, you know, the professional walleye trail, the PWT was big back then in the late 90s, uh, mid 90s, late 90s growing up. So you had like Keith Cavias would put out VHS tapes on lead core trolling for walleyes. And I was just fascinated by it. These guys in these shiny boats and these big motors and stuff I didn't have access to. But I wanted, uh, you know, badly. Like, I was begging for my parents to buy me a big fiberglass sparkly boat. And it (laughs) never happened. Uh, You know, they built some boats for me. You know, we took that 14-foot deep V and put a platform up there and a foot control old, I don't know, motor guide trolling motor. Uh, The graph it came with at the time was one of them paper graphs. So, you got to think, I'm like 14 years old. And using technology that's 15 years old, but trying to make it work because I wanted to be cool. Right. <laughs> Cause I read about it in the, these magazines. Uh, so that was kind of me growing up and then probably after high school, because I almost missed graduation, uh, due to a, a walleye tournament. So I started fishing walleye tournaments hard and was, was in love with it. But I was always fascinated, you look over, whether it be at the boat ramp or wherever you were, and you'd see these bass guys in those really sparkly bass boats uh, because at the time, walleye boats were more aluminum and, you know, they were the old school boats. And uh, I was always just fascinated. I mean, I took I've, I have pictures from like 93, 94, 95 on camera of me just taking pictures of these guys on shore in their bass boats, you know, throwing a, a spinner bait or whatever to the bank. I was just fascinated by it. So. It kind of, it's always stuck with me, but I just never got into it until about 2007 when uh, Mercury approached me and said, Travis, we'd love to take you. Uh, we have a, we have some spots open to fish in the first ever Bassmaster Elite Series event as a co-angler down in Lake Amistad. Uh, that's the one Ish Monroe won." And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm in, let's do it. I'll go down there. So, and so I had to, uh network with some people and i bought a bunch of gear uh sportsman's warehouse was the big place back in the day so i borrowed some fishing rods and i bought a bunch of tackle and away i went and i got hooked up with some top guys you know i hung out with aaron martins and uh, byron velvick we stayed at his house he had a big party one night down there and that's really what got me interested basically after that event i came back and and sold all my walleye gear uh, and, uh, in, oh, I think, oh eight, I bought my first used, uh, Triton 21 X, uh, from some guy down in Alabama. And ever since then, it's been, uh, nothing but bass fishing. So, uh, long story short, that's kind of what got me involved. Uh, in oh eight, I started fishing team events back home in Wisconsin and started doing pretty decent and decided I wanted to be a Bassmaster Elite Series pro. And so that's all I could think about for two years. And so the only way to do that is to, to open uh, fish, the opens and the bigger events, which I did. Uh, I qualified for my first year doing it had no re I mean, I didn't belong there at all on the elite series. I had no idea what I was doing. I had some pretty crappy equipment and looking back, I have no idea how I managed to finish fourth in points across the country in those tournaments. Uh, no idea. It was, it was just craziness. Um, Nowadays, I mean, man, I'm probably as dialed in as anybody when it comes to my equipment, my gear and, and how to properly fish for bass. Uh, I wish I had all this information back then. I'd probably still be on the elite series, but you know, I, I had a pretty good job, uh, trading commodities prior to joining the elite. So I had some money saved, uh, again, hundred thousand a year. And so that kind of goes pretty quick when you're not cashing checks. And so I only lasted about two years on tour and had to, uh, kind of reconsider my life what, what I'm going to do. Cause I just came up too quick in the bass fishing scene. Uh, I just didn't have the knowledge or experience, um, to compete properly. So I had to step back that led me to uh, move out here on the East coast now, and then kind of fell in love with, um. Uh, it's still a long drive, but I'm four to five hours away from some of the best smallmouth fish in the country, Lake Ontario, the St. Lawrence River. So I spent so much time up there. And then, of course, uh, I fish a lot of tidal water now. The Chesapeake Bay is pretty much it. There's not a whole lot of good things going on in PA as far as fun places to fish other than than those areas. So uh, it's not like Wisconsin where you could go to any lake on any given day and do whatever technique you want and catch 20, 22 pounds because there's you know, 15,000 lakes uh, here in PA. There's, there's not a whole lot for me to do. So that kind of drives me crazy, but it allowed me to get involved in videos and, and start filming my events. And so about three years ago, I created a, a YouTube channel named after my passion of small of bass fish. I love smallmouth. So smallmouth crush and just kept uh, building that portfolio of videos. And Eventually, people started listening to what I have to say, and um, for some reason, here we are today with a pretty decent following, loyal, loyal followers to the channel, and a pretty successful track record when it comes to uh, tournament fishing. So that was pretty much the long introduction. So I apologize for that, but that's where that's how it all happened. The
1: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history, designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911, and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
3: No worries, man. That's awesome. So, I mean, you're... You definitely got the, the the chops to be able for people to be able to look at you and be like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I think that's a part of why your channel is probably successful because, but you don't always just go over basic stuff. You cover everything from tackle to, you know, you know, tips and tricks and everything. Um, so I mean, that's mm-hmm. part, kind of what drew me to you, uh, your information because I'm still. Uh, you know i'm heck i'm running the bass fishing for noobs show i'm still consider myself a noob when it comes to a lot of stuff i you know definitely don't have any near the level of success success that you do but um just learning uh you know through you know the things you put out there has been super helpful to me so Mm -hmm. but uh and and now uh how long have you been doing like your the podcast where you interview people. I, I, I wasn't quite yeah, sure so how long
4: the podcast actually is. Very new. Uh, That's it what started. I it started in January of 2021, and the goal was uh, I wanted to I wanted to have a presence in the podcast space. You know, the YouTube channel was growing, uh, other social medias was growing, but uh, I wanted to kind of get in on the podcast deal. But I still find that a lot of my, uh, views from the podcast come from video. So of course I tape the podcast and still put them out on my YouTube channel. Uh, and the whole theory, I, I wanted to do something totally different than just talk fishing and I decided, you know, we need a theme for 2021. Well, let's start with the interviewing the top smallmouth bass anglers in north america and so i'm about oh gosh i have about 14 more interviews to go uh before that whole series is completed so within a two-month time frame you know 35 40 interviews have been done only because i don't have time i'm dealing with videos and tournaments and all this all summer all fishing season the last thing i want to do is have to schedule a podcast in july uh when i'm trying to practice for a tournament so the goal was to get everyone done but my goal was originally january 30th but of course uh that hasn't happened we still got a few more to follow (laughs) up with you know guys like you know me missing the podcast last night stuff like that comes up so uh everyone's schedule's hectic and it's hard to schedule 52 of these top guys who have crazy crazy schedules but we're getting the job done learning a lot as, as we're going. And now my biggest fear is what the heck am I going to do for 2022? And (laughs) do I want to cram in 52, uh, shows in one month? I don't know, man. I'm open for suggestions. (laughs) That's insane, man. It was, was. (laughs) and you guys know how long it takes. I mean, even a a perfectly well-placed interview where you don't have to go back and edit you still got to put the intros and the outros and you got to put it on YouTube and you got to put the description and you got to go to your podcast platform and, and deal with all that. So 52, at least there's, there's times two hours. There's a uh, hundred some hours involved just in, in the uh, putting up the videos. Right. The production, right. right. hmm
3: Yeah. I, I can't imagine doing that many uh podcasts in a month. I mean, I, I we <laughs> yeah. try to record at least once a week sometimes too and even that gets hectic i can't even imagine it it is tough
4: it it is tough because you know some days we're doing five or six a day and then i mean i'm drained uh and then i have to to ask act excited you know to each guest and believe me they're all very good but after a while it's like man really we're gonna talk about you know uh
3: and some uh, guy from some other Podcast comes on and says, Hey, man, you want to come right? To my podcast? And you're
4: probably, That's the last thing, another podcast, but no, it's good, it keeps me busy. But of course, with the YouTube channel, we're trying to put one video out a week as well, and then we do a live a week, so there's three different productions a week. Uh, and now I'm embarking on a whole nother journey that we might not get into yet tonight, but maybe later if we have time. But uh, just a lot, a lot going on as far as the media side goes.
0: Cool. It's great, though, seeing you, you know, successful in, you know, touching into podcasts and you got the YouTube channel, you know, it's it's hard to get into the, you know, to get into it and be successful with it. So I congratulate you on the hard work, man. That's what it takes. You You know, it's what it takes. You got a dedication to it. You put forth the time, the effort. You know, a lot of people think the podcast games like real simple and the formula is a little simple. But the thing is, is how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it exciting? You know, how do you not get burned on it, you know, and make sure you've got good guests and,
4: you know, Mm -hmm. one
0: of the hardest things for doing podcasts is like you mentioned is scheduling it, you know, sure. Get a lot of, um, a lot of like, sure. Yeah. I'd love to come on the show. And then like, you know, it's a podcast, so it's not super important to a lot of people. So it's like, all right. Yeah. If I got something come up, I, you know, I can skip out on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, So it's, it's a little, it's a battle that we're familiar with, with paddle and fin, you know, and that's no, no slight against anybody, whoever has to do that, man. Like Milford tonight had a family emergency come up, you know, and that's why we're lucky that we have 12 people involved with it. So we got people who can step in at any moment and, you know, help, Mm -hmm. help another host out or, you know, we got people, you got several people that are editing and, you know, there's a lot, a lot to it though, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's fun, you know? But I can't imagine doing 52, trying to push 52 episodes in one month, dude. That's insane. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, really, you break that down, that's two per day. (laughs) And like you said, it's not happening two per day. You got five one day and then maybe one
3: the next. Sure. Yeah,
4: exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But I guess if there's a time of year to do it now, it's probably the time for sure.
4: Yeah, I, I hear everyone all excited about spring and being able to get out there. And I'm like, man, I want four more months of winter because <laughs> I'm not ready for it. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, let me give me a little bit of time. Uh, my new boat just came in today. Uh, and as expected, you know. Uh, went to go look at it and a couple issues right off the bat. So, you know, there's, it's always something it seems.
3: Right. That's where we get a little lucky. We're kind of kayak focused on our segment and uh, they're a little cheaper to maintain, although mm-hmm. definitely pouring in enough dough. I can't imagine having a regular boat, but uh, yeah, yeah, for sure.
4: <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: So I figured um, we can, chat about smallies if you're down with that you know uh, yeah absolutely i uh, i'm also a fellow pa guy i live in uh york pa you know not super mm-hmm. far from where you are i don't think um so i fish the Susquehanna a lot i i definitely feel you yeah, the local lakes around me get hammered and i always wondered that you know is there places where you fish where you, it's not just always a struggle where you just mm-hmm. you know nail them and it, i'd love to go up to a place like that just to see what it's like sometime because every time I go out it's pretty much a grind
4: yeah yeah you get uh you get spoiled um I like to set the hook that's why I fish um I don't like uh a challenge okay if that makes sense I want it easy Uh, that's why I enjoy going out fishing um I don't get excited over three and four pound smallmouth anymore, like at all. I have zero interest in catching small fish. Uh, for me, it's all about trophy smallmouth. So it's those five, six, and seven, and maybe another eight is what kind of drives me. It's putting together a five fish limit that's 25, 26, 27, or bigger. Those are my new goals every time I go out fishing. Uh, of course, because I tournament fish, we can't always fish some of these awesome, amazing bodies of water at the right times. And so I'm forced to have to grind it out. And I, I enjoy the grind in competition, but I do not enjoy a grind when I'm fun fishing. Yeah. Like I don't, I I would rather sit on the couch and just hang out <laughs> than go out on the lake. Um, And that's just, I know it's going to be different than a lot of people, uh, call it what you want, but I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm just being really truthful with you. I have no interest in catching three pounds, smallmouth. I, I don't. Um, I want those big ones and there's plenty of places in the country that allows you to do that. Uh, now if it's an event where we know, you know, I fish tidal water a lot and I'm not only smallmouth, but you know, I fish on the Chesapeake Bay for largemouth. and during certain times of year, you are only going to fish and, and catch if you're lucky five or six fish a day. And so when we have a tournament. I, I do enjoy that. But again, it goes back to the competition and yeah. trying my best. But if I'm out there fun fishing for five bites, I don't, I'm not into it. I don't know. That's just me.
3: And I think that's why a lot of people who are just getting into fishing don't stick with it. You know, you either get that bug and, you know, go nuts for it, or you have that experience where you don't catch anything or you catch one or two and people are like, why, why do you waste your whole day doing that? Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. have the same feeling with hunting. I I, I tried hunting and uh, after I sat in the woods for eight hours and didn't see anything, I'm like, I just wasted eight hours
4: sitting on my butt. Mm. <laughs> so... uh yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I agree. It's kind of a, uh, it's like when you're out there fishing, I enjoy the outdoors and, you know, getting out there at first light and doing my thing and, and everything that comes with being on the water and being with nature. But uh, why not do that where there's a lake full of big fish that are going to be biting. So once you, once you take advantage of that and you see that, uh, now if I didn't fish pretty much every day and I was a, a weekend angler and, you know, could only maybe fish on Saturdays and Sundays, I, would th- probably appreciate the grind a little bit more. Uh, you know, like on the Chesapeake, I I'll do guide trips. Uh, that's where I guide quite a bit in March, April, May, and June, but come August and September, when that you're fishing for five or six bites, it's just, it's not fun. I, I, I like to pick and have the flexibility to be able to fish these awesome bodies of water at the right times of year. And so that's just kind of what I gravitate towards or, or tend to do. And it just seems the Northern part of the country, uh, not only is it gorgeous and beautiful and not a lot of pressure, and I'm talking anywhere from the Dakotas to Minnesota, the Wisconsin to Michigan to upstate New York and into Canada, Maine, you know, there's a lot of places like that. And it will take 20 plus pounds to do well for five fish in most events up there, where if you look at Florida, let's take Florida, which is known for, you know, everyone thinks of Florida is having big largemouth. and yes, in March and February, it's gonna put out your 25, 30 pound bags. But go down to Florida in August and look at those weights. You know, 15, 16 pounds sometimes will win a big event in under those conditions. Where the northern part of the country, I don't care if it's April through September, October, you need that big weight to do well. It's always a consistent bite yeah. and big fish. So that's why I love it up there. <laughs>
3: You just have to be willing to travel, I guess, and uh, go to those places,
4: or live there
0: eventually. Hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) you know. But you kind of touch on something that speaks true. Like it's, it's one of the things. It gets frustrating when you know you're in the right place, you're throwing the right stuff, you know. And it's like, hey, why isn't this working out? And that's where it get it does. It it can get frustrating. You know, the more the more that you learn sometimes it, it, you start second guessing like what what am i doing wrong you know and you mm-hmm. you may not be doing anything wrong that's how finicky the whole thing fishing can be you know when you really think about it and like you said it's so weather dependent that the further south you go the more heat there is the worse it is and here you are out in this 90 something plus degree weather and you can't buy a bite you know save your life at all you know so mm-hmm. it, it's um totally understandable especially with somebody like you because you like you said this is your job you you know you're a tournament angler so you you are used to fishing for you're you're always in a sense aiming as high as possible the best fish you know even in a tournament even in a bad not a bad situation but not the most likely of uh you know successful lakes at that time of year or whatever so it's 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 a good kind of thing that you you aim to go for trophy size fish, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's a few guys here locally that are like, yeah, I'd rather catch one or two trophy fish in a day than to go catch, you know, 15 little, you know, 12, 13 inch, you know, smallmouth in the river. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
4: I mean, well, that, that, the, that most, the, the most fun, en- the most enjoyment I have, uh, you know, I, I kind of contradict myself when we're talking about, I don't like chasing three pounders. If I get into a group of fish, uh, somewhere, you know, where we have one of those 50, 60, 80 fish days, um, and you're trying to get your best five to that 25, 26 pound mark. And you're catching a bunch of threes every once in a while. I mean, that's fun. That's enjoyable. Still. Uh, I'm talking about the grind where, where a body of water, where I know you have like a very little shot of catching something over five pounds. That's kind of what it's like. eh, Uh, don't know if I want to waste waste some time on that body of water. You Sounds know, I've like, ex- <laughs> I
0: can see it, and Sean's like, "I'll waste some time there."
4: Uh, right?
3: <laughs> um, I, I, I'd be driving. <laughs> I bet you five hours to get anywhere where I am not wasting my time.
4: But at the same time, it's about. all it's all relative to w- the the part of the country you live in. So if your only access is the Susquehanna River, uh, and your trophy smallmouth there is four pounds, you know, maybe if that's all you had that would be your your excitement would be to try to capture that big 4 pounder that lives in that river yeah um so I, I it goes back to just being um you know relative to the area that you're fishing what a trophy is considered to you um you know i know there's 9 10 pound smallmouth in the great lakes and uh, i'd love to be able to cap capture one of those fish someday
0: yeah Josh,
3: you, you've been you, up on there on erie and stuff right so yeah kind of any um with monsters
4: no um <laughs>
0: i've been up there and we went around the Putten bay area and when we rolled in there we were really happy excited and then the weather kind of took a turn for the worse and being in the kayak we got out and did some fishing but nobody did real spectacular there was a few smallmouth caught nothing huge and then a huge storm rolled in so we kind of boogied out of there and We hopped around and just weren't successful. And there actually ended up being a pretty major bass tournament going on at the same time. So um, the cards were kind of against us, you know, weather-wise. But it's beautiful up there. I had a lot of fun. Um, Another time I went on Erie, but that was closer to the Toledo area. And it's not well known for smallmouth around there. It's more largemouth. And because it's real muddy in that area. Huge walleye fishing though. Like Mike, my buddy Mike's dad walleye fishes out there. And they go out there for an hour or two, catch a limit, come back and bring back a ton of fish. And um, but yeah, I've only been up there a couple times. I hope to make it up there some more. So it's a it's a fun time.
2: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint.
3: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, that's what, kind of why I was so excited to try Dale Hollow. We had a uh, meetup for our podcast in Dale Hollow last year, and um, I, was fi- I was so excited to go someplace other than Central PA. And I was like, finally, I'm going to go to a place where you know it's not going to be hard to catch fish and then what happened the weather was like crazy and everybody struggled to catch fish i was like come Mm -hmm. on sure (laughs) that's how it always goes you can't
0: you can't plan a fishing trip without the weather messing it up i'm I'm convinced of that at Mm -hmm. this point see travis here is lucky because he gets to fish on a regular basis so he gets the the bad and the good. It seems like you're like, ah, you're like me, Sean, you get the weekend off. You're like, looks good. Looks good. Day before. Nope. Not so much. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah.
3: but that means if that means fishing in the pouring rain, that's what it means. Cause that's when I have time to fish. So mm-hmm. uh, I do what I can, you know, fish through what I have to, you know, if it means going out in a dry suit, you know, having it choke me all day for, you know, in 30 <laughs> degree weather, that's what it means. Cause that's the only time I have the fish. So I, you know, but um, I mean, I'm sure guiding is tough too, because you know, people sign up expecting to have good days every time they go out and you're at the mercy of the same weather that everybody is. So mm-hmm. you gotta kind of gotta do what you gotta do. And I'm sure that's tough too. When you got to grind out on uh, you know, when you have clients with you.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I've been fortunate. The weather hasn't, uh, it's never been terrible. I've never had to cancel a trip due to weather. Um, you know, we may have had to dodge some storms and sit tight for a little while here and there, but never had to cancel a day. Uh, the Chesapeake, you know, even in the worst winds, you can always fish. Uh, and same thing up on the Great Lakes. There's always places you can tuck into to get out of the wind if you if it's, you know, really, really bad.
3: Yeah, no, I, I went out on a striper trip one time out of Southern Maryland, and um, I think the wind was blowing, like, something crazy in the, the, the skipper had said, you know, if this was blowing anymore, we wouldn't be going out and it was crazy rough, but we still mm-hmm. managed to, to make it out and we did fine. I, I, I think that trip I caught like a 42 inch striper or something crazy, you know, probably my, the biggest fish I ever caught, but uh, it was choppy as all get out out there.
4: Mm, uh, sure.
3: But uh, it was still a fun time. So. Right. heck yeah. So I'd I couldn't like have you course. go ahead. Yeah. So I like oh, to catch
0: forty-two inch striper.
3: That was fun, man. I I tell you what, that was easily the the biggest fish and the longest fight I had because I they were we were trolling and it was probably I think five hundred yards off the top. Like they had six rods out each side or three rods out each side and three rods out off the top. And mine was uh, then we just called pulled numbers and you know, so first number one first one to hit would go and then take you know cycle through the numbers and when my number came up it was one of the rods up on top and they had put those way out like 500 yards out the back so they wouldn't get tangled with the ones on the side and so i had to freaking drag that fish in 500 yards my arms <laughs> were burning so that's awesome man but yeah travis I, I couldn't have you on here without at least picking your brain for small mouth tips at least a little bit i figured i'd sure. see what your your go-to is uh i know i i I mean, I'm a spinning rod guy, a finesse guy. I do do some bait casting and stuff, but um, I see you a lot of your videos you do on spinning rod stuff. I know you do bait casting too, but, you know, that kind of – I've always kind of watched your your finesse stuff. Well, you know, your spinning rod stuff
4: because Mm -hmm. that's
3: a bulk of what I use. I was watching the other night uh, a Ned Rig video that you did where you were just kind of having one of those days where, you know, you're just slaying them. And, uh, so I figured I'd see what, you know, your go-to's are, your, your sure. confidence-based presentations and stuff like that.
4: Yeah. So I do use a spinning rod probably more, more times than most people, uh, even for large mouth and, and small mouth situations. Um, that's just, uh, that goes back, back with kind of knowing, knowing what you're really good at and efficient at and uh I just seem to always gravitate towards uh towards spinning rods deep you know even in places where you know I've done on the Tennessee River in, in tournaments and uh certain bodies of water where that's not the norm but I would search out patterns that would suit and be productive with a spinning rod Just because I'm really comfortable with it. So when we're targeting smallmouth, I'm going to have a bunch of different spinning rods on deck. Uh, Most of the time, of course, a drop shot is going to come into play for me. It's going to be uh, not only a shallow, a deep application, but also a shallow water application. So two feet to 50 feet, I'll utilize a drop shot. Now I'll get kind of a little sophisticated with it. And I mean, that's a three hour show right there just on drop shot weights. Uh, It really is. There's a lot to drop shotting, but I'll definitely have a handful of drop shots ready to go. A handful of what we're going to call Ned rigs, but it kind of evolved for me. Not, not only is it just a standard, you know, two and a half, three inch stick bait, say, call it what you want. The Z man TRD, a lot of different companies make different Ned rigs now. Uh, but there's going to be a Ned rig, a couple different Ned creatures, we'll call it, as well, tied on. Of course, uh, a variety of tubes in different sizes will be ready to go. Uh, hair jigs, so Marabou hair jigs, will be on the deck as well. And really, the only hard baits I'll throw is uh, some small, flat sided crank baits at times, smaller jerk baits, and then spy baits is what I would throw on a on a spinning rod but that's pretty much uh the deal that's that's what i do most of my damage on would be a drop shot ned tube hair jig combination and that's pretty much what i stick with when i'm fishing clear bodies of water for for big smallmouth
0: okay quick question um i've always kind of been interested because I've always wanted to know the difference in the sensitivity of the bite that you would feel in a shallow water application drop shotting versus um, your deep water applications. Because obviously you're going to need more weight to get that, you know, get down there a little further, um, get down farther and a little quickly. You know, I'm I'm sure throwing like a one eighth ounce, you know, drop shot is going to take forever in a day to get down 50 feet. Mm-hmm. so when you what kind of weight are you using when you hit that 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 kind of depth and sure. what's the bite like shallow versus you know that 50 foot depth
4: yeah so the bites are uh pretty much the same really depending on the body uh you know the the water depth doesn't make the bite a whole lot different the feels pretty much the same when you're drop shotting it's uh weight size really varies on all the different situations. So if I'm in 10 feet of water or less, I think a three sixteenth ounce or a quarter ounce weight is pretty effective for me. Uh, when I get out a little deeper in that 15 plus 15 to 40, I'm going to more than likely, this is if I'm targeting fish on the bottom, I'll pick up a half ounce, but more than likely it'll be a five eighth ounce, uh, drop shot weight. But there's times when I'm in 40 feet of water and I'm throwing an 8-ounce weight because these fish are suspended and I want to slow uh, that fall rate of that bait and and as it passes through these fish. So there's always a time and place, regardless of depth, for different weights. Uh, even shallow, there's days when a half ounce is what I'm going to pick up in 8 feet of water because I'm in 3- and 4-foot rollers and I want to make good contact and not move that bait too much. I want to keep that bait on the bottom and let the waves and current kind of do the work for that bait. So there's, there's a, like I said, there's a lot involved in, you know, the, the different size weights that you would pick up on a, on a regular basis. And even the, uh, material, the weight, as well as how the weights made or designed, you know, whether it be a round weight or a a cylinder weight that has a lot of different applications for each type of weight there. So, uh, you know, I carry quite a bit. I go through, you know, four or five hundred uh, drop shot weights a year, probably um, wow. when I'm out there. So a lot, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I use quite a bit. I mean, there's always a drop shot on the deck, pretty much wherever I go in the country.
0: Yeah, you make a good point though. For a lot of people who might be new to drop shotting, is you know if you are graphing fish and you're looking at them and they're on the bottom, yeah, you're going to want to throw something with more weight and keep it down at the bottom. But, you know, lighten it up if you see them suspended. That way that that bait drifts down real slow right in front of their faces. And then I really like the point, though, you made that, you know, you'll use a heavy weight in shallow water and let the waves do the action, you know, because mm-hmm. that's one thing that I struggle with, especially even being like a river guy is trying to find the weight's to match up with what the water movement's doing, you know, because you could throw, uh, uh, you know, a three quarter ounce weight and you're just slamming into the rocks and getting caught under everything, you know? And then if I bring it up just a little bit, sometimes I find then, and it's just getting washed down real fast, you know? So, but that's a really cool tip. Everybody, you know, kind of make note of that. You know, if you see that you got, really windy day and you're rocking around in that boat and you know the fish are are there but you you know you you think that your bait's probably moving around too much and you want to lock on the bottom you know pick up don't be scared to pick up that heavier weight and just let the the action occur through the the current and the wind and the waves that's i I like that point that's really cool man i appreciate that
4: yeah i mean the initial drop you're going to get reaction bites oftentimes but most of the time if that doesn't work and there's still fish that you're seeing and you know they're there it's pretty much don't move that drop shot bait at all um i see that way too much too much shaking and jigging going on down there um two three minutes sometimes before i even think about moving that bait i
3: I was i was gonna ask you that too because uh same point uh, i fish the river a lot the susquehanna and um, I've, I've heard drop shot is great, but I got so frustrated by snagging and either mm-hmm. that, yeah, same thing, trying to find that right weight so that I'm either not just washing right past where I think the fish are, or I'm getting snagged every cast and, you know, you know, use sure. yeah drop shots a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's, that's definitely a good point. Um, and maybe, maybe I do need just to, to you know, Go heavier in some of those applications just so i know it's gonna stick somewhere stay put now are you usually uh kind of vertical fishing with that like dropping it down on them or are you
4: it's r- really both yeah casting over vertical it's it's really depending on the situation so uh if i'm dropping straight down i like a medium light rod if i'm casting i like a medium rod i use light braid five, eight, 10 pound diameter braid to a fluorocarbon leader, uh, most of the time. So it's, uh, it really depends on, on the situation. The shallow fish, of course, I'm, I'm mostly casting to, uh, the deeper fish, I'd say 50, 50, I'm dropping them down or I might see them out a little further too, where I'm making casts. But for the most part, uh, and then, of course, largemouth, it's pretty much casting to, to largemouth as well.
3: Would you say you fish more current or more kind of, I know, I guess, obviously, the Chesapeake is going to be current, right? Uh, or versus- Yeah, a little
4: tide influence. Um, I'm in both. You know, I fish a lot of rivers with smallmouth, deep, deep rivers. Is when I mean, of course, there's shallow spots as well where I'll utilize the drop shot. But it's a mixture of current and non-current. Bodies of water that I do fish.
3: That's that's another challenge for me because every time I think I have it dialed in, I'll, I'll switch from the river to a lake where there's hardly any current. Basically, the only thing you're moving you around is the wind, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a completely different presentation at that point. So, uh, mm. definitely something I'm still still learning. Uh, at least I, you know, to me it seems like a different application, and maybe it's more similar than I am giving it mm-hmm. credit for, but. Um, Oh, th- that's cool. So, um, trying to think of anything, any other, uh, tips or tricks, tricks, Tr- tricks or tips. I can't say it <laughs> that you want to throw out there. <laughs> you don't have to give up juice or anything. You know, I'm sure you got your go-tos, but.
4: Yeah. I mean, I try to keep things really simple when it comes to and gear. Um, you know, as far as colors go for smallmouth fishing, your green pumpkins, your straight black, and your smoked purples will pretty much have you covered for uh, the right, to have the confidence that you have the right bait. Now, you're going to hear buzzwords and keywords for every body of water you go to, and you want to take note. You know, if you keep hearing about a green pumpkin with gold or purple fleck, uh, you might want to try something like that on that particular body of water. But for the most part, those colors pretty much cover it all. Um, I wish I could say I've seen a difference really. It goes the same for largemouth. I mean, if you're pitching a bait to a log, a Texas rig creature bait, I mean, I have a hard time believing that if, if it's black or black and blue or green pumpkin, I think that fish is still going to bite it. I think if you throw a lizard at that, it's going to bite it. I think if you throw a Senko at it, it's going to bite it. I, I'm not too concerned. I don't see it enough to be like, oh, man, you need a three-and-a-half-inch creature bait with three tentacles coming out of it in order to catch that fish <laughs> right. on the log. Uh, it's designed to catch anglers and spend money on tackle. Uh, Is really what it's all designed to do. Um, I think that fish... I think it's more important to how that bait lands in the water and how it's presented. if that fish is in the mood and looking, uh, you know, you can bring a bait past the fish and it's positioned the opposite way. And it's coming past its tail. And, um, it's just zoned out or just chilling and it's not really in the mood. It may not feel that vibration or it might feel a vibration and just be like, Oh, that's just another bluegill chilling over here. Do I really want to spin around and grab it? So, you know, all this stuff goes through my mind when it comes to that, it's more about presenting that bait properly or hoping you're it properly. I do a lot of visualization too of what's under the water, which I think helps, um, probably a lot more than most people. So, and you can practice this as silly as it sounds. And I've said this before, but Um, I mean, just take today, I had to drive to Redding to Bowers to pick up, uh, to take a look at my boat. So I'm on the interstate and you look out over a field and you see a rock pile out there or you see a ditch line. Uh, that's the same thing as on the bottom of the water. There's certain places like that. And I'm always like, man, if that was full of water, that's where those fish would be. So my mind's always thinking that way. Uh, I can't get away from it. Like I see underwater, even when I'm on dry land, which is kind (laughs) of (laughs) weird.
3: Well, I was going to say another thing. I just, I was kind of watching some videos before we got on tonight just to kind of, you know.
1: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
3: Uh, get up to speed and everything. And one of the things that I saw on your channel was uh, you have a just a little aquarium that you
4: sure, run, the, yeah.
3: run the base through. And I, I was like, that is a great idea. I'm going to go hop on Craigslist and see if I can find a cheap <laughs> aquarium. Cause yeah. I, think I mean, to know to not just to be guessing what that drop shot is doing on the bottom of the water, but actually be able to see what it is. I don't have a, a fishing pool or a swimming pool. I've heard of people doing it in swimming pools and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I mean, I think that's a, a really good idea. Um, you know, and like you, like you said in that video, you're, you're trying, you know, different uh, drop shot hooks and comparing them. Like what does this bait do on a size one versus a size four uh, yep. drop shot hook? You know, one, you know, and just compare like the rate of fall and that kind of thing. That way, you yeah. know, you know what it's doing and you're not in guessing. Uh,
4: mm-hmm. It would drive you crazy to do it to all the different baits out there. So what you want to do is get confidence in a handful of baits. Like, so I have a go-to drop shot box. And so that's when I'll apply the different hooks, sizes, and, and look at them in the tank because I want to see, okay, I really like this bait. I use it a lot, so let me get intimate with it and really see what it does underwater. So that's when I'll take the time to do all that. Uh, of course, when I see some new baits on the market that look intriguing, uh, I'll pick up a pack and test it first too, just to kind of give me an idea what what it's doing under there. But at the same time, even the best looking bait uh, in 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 the aquarium, sometimes the other one that just lays there on the bottom and just looks stupid will outproduce it. So, and I don't know why. You know, there's some, I, we give some, a couple examples. Uh, what's the one? It's the it's the old man's devil, I don't know what it is, spear. It's just a stupid uh, spear. I can't think of the name now, but it's just a little two and a half, three inch piece of plastic that doesn't do much. It just lays on the bottom. Yet I can catch a bunch of big smallmouth on that bait for some reason. Where you put one of these fancy Japanese plastics on and it just, you know, you just twitch the line and it just gives off a bunch of movement and vibration. And it's like, well, that should probably get bites before this thing that's just laying on the bottom. (laughs) A piece of plastic laying on the bottom is all it is shaped like a spear that doesn't even look like anything edible in nature none of <laughs> yeah. these plastics do i don't care. I know maybe a lizard is about as close <laughs> but how many lizards you see hanging out in the lake i yeah. don't i've never right. seen a lizard in the lake <laughs> like so where
0: i don't like kills me if somebody's like anywhere above like tennessee and up like you're like where where do you guys see lizards i have never seen a lizard in ohio yeah. not yeah. that there isn't some but i'm like it just mm-hmm. kills me i'm like
4: So that's what drives me crazy. It's not going off of, uh, it's not matching the hatch. It's not even these goby drop shot baits. They don't look, you put a goby up next to that plastic and it looks like (laughs) a piece of plastic. I don't care if you put plastic eyes that are 3d in it. It still doesn't look like a real goby. So that's not it. It's, it's more that instinct that, that drive that a fish has to eat and bite and perhaps ambush. I think that's what those baits are and the movement and the way you fish them is a little bit more important uh someone show me a real live plastic that looks like a goby i'm in i mean yeah it's hard it really is and the way they swim and look <laughs> you're like sure yeah
0: <laughs> so i've seen some crazy ones especially when we're up around erie mm-hmm. i'm like they're taking plastics and putting fr- you know marabou on it and just like <laughs> everybody's trying everything
4: they're, tr- right? they're trying and they all they they have their time and place and they do work obviously that we catch them on the dumbest things but yeah. uh to me it doesn't look like anything real in nature uh so whatever that means you know even one of my favorite baits of all time for smallmouth would be a three inch uh original you know gary yamamoto Senko in straight black. I mean, that what's that supposed to look like? You know, even these leeches, I mean, I don't see a lot of leeches out there in 40 feet of water either. So who knows? Yeah.
0: But you right. make a good point though. It's like, um, you know, a lot of people chase that, that next bait. And cause they hear so-and-so is killing it on it, but it is, it is all about the right conditions, the right presentation. You know, I, Mm -hmm. there's three basic colors i've always heard too like black you know green pumpkin and brown sometimes or like or a pearl of some sort that resembles a bait fish you know and you'll you'll get bit on those colors you know and then there's days you won't but if you're not getting a bit on those colors you're probably not in the right place doing the right thing you know Mm -hmm. it's um there's i can and i kind of I understood that when I went up to Lake St. Clair and we fished the right at the end of the spawning season and I was throwing a swim bait on an underspin and I kept, I got ripped apart, man. This thing, it was working. And I was originally throwing the small mouth magic color. It's like uh, green on top, slightly silver on the bottom, Kytec. And I ran out of them. I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to do here? And I literally just went through a bag that I had and I threw every color and every variation I had in that bag, which is probably 10 different colors. And every one of them got hit. It had nothing to do with what color it was. It literally had to do with what the fish were doing. Mm -hmm. And I was pissing them off because I was in the nesting area with those baits. So sure.
4: I I think I find one magic bait, maybe two a year where it's like, wow, this needs to be Put in my arsenal at some point, uh, and and that's that's pretty much it. Um, I'd say in the last five years, there's been four or five baits that have really changed. Uh, that's helped me a lot. High confidence baits that are now part of the. Uh, I throw them wherever I go. Regard, you know, they're always tied on, uh, ready to go. I think you know one of the most important things if you are getting into f- Smallmouth fishing or finesse fishing, uh, and throwing a spinning rod is making sure you have the best setup that you can afford. Uh, there's a big difference between a hundred twenty dollar rod and a six, seven, eight hundred dollar rod. And if you get to the point where you're really serious about fishing and you want to develop your finesse game and take it to the next level, it all comes down to your setup before you even try to present a bait to a fish. You have to have the right setup so that goes with the real uh being real smooth a good drag uh, lightweight of course and then the rod itself you know a medium light for a lot of finesse tactics is is what i would recommend six eight six ten seven foot somewhere around that range and just trying to get the best rod blank uh out there that you can you can afford i been doing it long enough that I know there's a huge difference between some of the top end rods. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I would have a hard time fishing a, a lower end rod, uh, just because I, I love the feel that I have with that, knowing what's going on at all times with my bait and then pairing that with the right, uh, setup as far as line, you know, for the most part, if you're a serious finesse angler fishing these baits, you need to start throwing braid to a fluorocarbon leader. It's just going to allow you to have a lot better feel, work that bait a lot better. And, you know, low diameter is not 20 pounds. Low diameter is five, eight. That's going to help you with distance. That's going to help you with fall rate. That's going to help you with having that bait look somewhat realistic, flowing in the water, the way you move it, the current, things like that. You want to get a good braid. And I don't think you have to mess too much uh, as far as fluorocarbon. You really need maybe, if I had only picked one, it would be eight pounds. So six, eight, and then 10 for large mouth, or if you're fishing around grass, maybe 12 if you're in dirty water around structure. But for the most part, I think you can get by with, with an eight pound, uh, fluorocarbon leader. So you don't have to get too crazy. You don't need a whole lot of rods for this. You know, if you don't mind retying and tying different baits on, uh, I think you'd benefit by getting yourself one of them higher end rods and really focusing on take the gear and just be like, you know what? I may not be a finesse angler. I may not use a spinning rod as much as I'd like, uh, but I'm going to commit to it for most of the day when I'm out just fun fishing and tr- until I get some confidence in there. Because there's so many different opportunities that you can fish with a spinning rod versus a baitcaster and allow that bait to look a little bit more natural and get a lot more bites, if you will.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a quick question because you touched on like using like the 20 pound diameter braid versus, um, you know, like the, the, the smaller diameter, you know, five, six, eight, whatever. Um, there's a lot of people that use that 15 to 20 range on, you know, even finesse set- setups. Do you think because of the floating action of braid, then it would mess with like finesse fishing because if you're using that, thicker diameter is it going to want to mm-hmm. pull the bait up and kind of yeah absolutely let it hang up there? It,
4: yeah it's not going to have the, the right fall rate it's not going to you know there's a big difference between point zero zero four and 0.005 when it comes to diameter and braid uh you wouldn't think so just by the number but there truly is so there's no re- i mean five pound braid you, you're you going to pull it you're you're going to slice your fingers with it before you won't break it 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 just it doesn't break uh if you are going to you know if you're not comfortable with that you want to use 10 or 15 then try to use the same braid size with all your spinning rods too that way you get a feel for how it fishes and works like you don't want to hodgepodge of different braid sizes for me it's 5 and 8 5 on my medium lights and 8 on my mediums and that's it i don't like to differ from from that too much yeah well
3: it's a good thing we ryan skipped out on the show because he's like a total power fisherman and you know he he's mm-hmm. he throwing a spinning rod so you know these are uh good topics to talk about when he's not around right <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding ryan i love you man so but um awesome well uh i think that was a ton of good info i i would definitely be interested in picking your brain more on drop shotting like you know, if we could have you back on sometime to talk explicitly about drop shotting, because that's something, definitely something I, I need to learn more about. And, uh, I think it would make a good show if you're interested.
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much to it. Uh, you know, the basics of course, getting set up with the line and then the different baits, and then we can talk hooks and then it's locating fish, you know, uh, especially for me, I know with your viewers, it's probably a little different being in kayaks and stuff like that, but, um, you know, as a Deep water, big water, angler, uh, electronics really come into play too, which benefit me a lot uh, when, when I'm out there fishing. So that's a whole, I mean, there's so much that goes into it that, uh, and then of course you can have the best electronics in the world, but you still got to put yourself around the fish. Yeah. And it's trying to locate and stay on these schools of fish that move constantly, sometimes for no real reason in, in our minds that we can comprehend. You know, same conditions the next day and they're just gone when nothing has really changed where you can go to an area that's just loaded up with a big school and then there's a whole new weather pattern and you go there and they're still there. Like, okay, why are they here this day? But uh, during stable times, they're just not there that one day. And then you can go back six days later and they're back. Welcome back. Well, where did you go? You know, where did you run off to? I looked everywhere for you guys for the last three (laughs) days and here you are again. So, you know, a fish is a fish. We got to stop thinking that they're relating to cover and they're hanging out on this drop or this ledge. They'll go out there and just chill, man, 30 feet down over 60 for no reason sometimes. And how do you target that in a massive body of water? You know, it's tough. And I guess that's part of what makes it interesting you know, uh, going back to before, when I say I love fishing big, big smallmouth and lots of fish, I mean, as good as it is up on the great lakes, there's days where it's a grind as well and it's tough. So when I do get into those days where you're catching, you know, 150 fish a day and there's multiple fish over five and six pounds, you know, that you gotta, you gotta take advantage of it when you can. And that's when I don't hardly ever come off the water. When you get into a good bite, you're just out there wrecking them. Uh, And it happens, you know, a handful of times a year uh, where it's just some truly amazing, amazing days. Uh, You know, 300, 350 fish days is, can happen. You know, that's a blast.
0: Heck yeah. That sounds Uh, amazing. Sean, have you guys done a tube episode?
3: Uh, I'm trying to think if we have, um, I don't remember doing specific tubes. You you should pick
0: pick his brain about. Tubes also. So Ooh, was,
4: definitely. Yeah, that's definitely. a whole, that's a whole another deal there with tubes. <laughs> There's so many different tubes out there. There's so many different sizes, different ways to rig them, different ways to fish them, different rods to use for each different type of tube fishing that you're going to do. Yeah. I've been using tubes a lot more li- lately for largemouth, even, uh, and been messing around using more smallmouth tactics for largemouth, which has been pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I've been wrecking them on it. But uh, it's it's something I I again thinking outside the box. A lot of my smallmouth experience, a lot of my largemouth. When I fish largemouth, I seem to fish largemouth like I would smallmouth. I think that just comes with what I'm used to. So yeah. you're going to see me doing that over some of these power techniques quite quite a bit. Not okay. that I don't love throwing a frog or a chatterbait around. I certainly do. But uh, again, you're trying to get those key bites and. In tournaments, that's where sometimes changing things up a little bit can give you that edge. Now, other times you can get your butt kicked by a guy in, in the grass throwing the chatterbait. Yeah. So who knows? You know? <laughs> it's a guessing game. Right.
3: Absolutely. But that figuring out the puzzle is part of what makes it fun too, you know. When mm-hmm. when you can actually be like, you know what? I when I started out today, I I, I couldn't find them. But you know what? I found them. I figured out what they wanted to eat. And now I'm having a great day. That's a cool feeling to know, you know, that you put the puzzle together and, and you know, figured out what, you know, what you needed to do. Mm-hmm.
4: So, if only the puzzle could stay put together, you know, day that, two, man. it falls apart again. You got to do it all over. Right, right. But
3: that's what separates, you know, the, the guys who do consistently well is that mm-hmm. they are really good at putting that puzzle together. You right. Know, picking up on those subtle clues from one catch to the next. Okay, what, what was the same about this catch versus my last one? Where, you know, what's what was slightly different, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've, yeah. I've heard a lot about it. I definitely am not a very good puzzle person yet, but um, I'm definitely working on it. So.
0: Sure. Thank you.
3: Well, dude, uh, we're, we're a little over an hour, so um, I figured I'd let you give a, a shout-out to anybody or sponsors or social media, anything you want to plug, you know, feel free to...
4: Sorry. Yeah, um, man. So, you know, first and foremost, I I definitely, if if people are interested to in learn a little bit more about my style of fishing and, and how I fish, definitely want to check out the YouTube channel Smallmouth Crush. Please subscribe if you're over there. Instagram, it's Smallmouth Crush as well. Uh, I work with a lot of really good companies. I t- I partner up with uh, companies I I use on a regular basis. So you're not going to find me. Uh, tied into a particular bait company per se there's going to be baits that i endorse and use on a regular basis but there's a lot of great companies and i can't be pigged into one brand um that's one thing that drove me crazy when i first started and learning about bass fishing was a guy just like you saw you know in harrisburg would be on one of them tanks doing a seminar wearing a uh, a strike king jersey and he's going to tell me all about the strike king rage craw and the Ocho and the 1.5 square bill and that's all he's going to talk about because he's getting paid by that company to do so And so I didn't want to be put in that box I wanted to be a free agent when it comes to that kind of stuff So I do partner with with brands that do support me as well as companies Uh, Of course the tackle store the real shot. They're located in Wisconsin. They have a pretty good online store as well Uh, Every time you go over there you can use my code smallmouthcrush15 and get a little discount uh, at checkout on, on your product you know, rods, uh, St. Croix rods, I've been using those for years. I love them. Uh, I'm not sponsored by Shimano, but I really like their reels. So I, I do use the uh, the higher-end uh, spinning reels as well as the bait casting reels uh, from Shimano. And, of course, a couple key baits that I can't live without would BZ man products. Uh, Gajo baits make a great. Uh, Gobi still looks fake, okay? Gobi imitating <laughs> uh, bait, but it works. Um, so I do utilize that quite a bit. Uh, Beast Coast Fishing, we're actually coming out with a finesse jig here in a couple months uh, that's going to be a little unique and different to the, to what you've seen on the market. It's going to emphasize a jig trailer over the actual jig itself. So the emphasis for this product is actually the trailer you're using, uh, but it still functions like a football jig, just a little bit different than what you're, you're going to actually find in the market. Uh, of course, braid, I'm always on the search for the best braid. Uh, Cortland uh, line, which is a not too well-known company in upstate New York, American made, uh, they make some really good, uh, braid that I like to use as far as fluorocarbon, you know, I like gamma expensive, but it's good stuff. Um, it truly is, uh, some amazing line. So I definitely recommend gamma on, on the fluorocarbon leader. I also mess around with a little bit of Bass Pro Shop, hundred percent fluorocarbon. Uh, as far as my hooks, uh, Gamagatsu split shot drop shot hook is the number one drop shot hook that I recommend again. I get no kickback from them. I just love their, love their hooks. I've tried them all. If you're new to drop shotting, that's definitely going to be a hook. You're wanting uh, to get your hands on get bit baits, make some of the best tubes out there. They're based out of Wisconsin. And of course, uh, if you are, if you guys want to upgrade from your kayaks and get into a bass boat, uh, nitro boats uh, power with a mercury motor. And I get all my, all my boats from Bowers Marine second oldest uh, nitro tracker dealer in the country located in Redding, uh, Pennsylvania and those guys definitely know how to get you set up and rig your boat properly so my hat's off to them. I think that's it. Did a good job. <laughs> someday someday
3: a, a boat's in my future. But uh right, uh, right. It's it's probably <laughs> I gotta get two kids through college first. So you know. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so cool man. Well again, uh thanks again for stopping by. Yeah, thank uh, you. appreciate it. Josh, thank you for filling in for Ryan. I appreciate you no man. Um So everyone, go uh, check out Travis uh, uh, on his YouTube channel, uh, Small Mouth Crush. And uh, thanks again for checking in uh, or following along with uh, Bass Fish for Noobs, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Good night, everyone.
2: Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter n, and finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter n, and finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and